Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here this morning. I have just a quick announcement before I begin. Uh, as some of you may know, Pastor Tom and I are going to the Dominican Republic to preach at a pastor's gathering of about a thousand people. Uh, what our church does is we contribute towards this conference ten thousand dollars. Our mission, our mission uh, committee gives ten thousand dollars towards this conference, which basically allows for all these pastors to go to this conference for free. We do this. We've been doing this. Every other year. This year, Pastor Tom and I are going to speaking uh, at the conference. I'm sure you can understand the, multi- the, the multiplication of ministering to pastors in this way. I think City Church has something that the world needs to hear. Uh, the pastors in the Dominican Republic are very driven, very committed. Uh, it's almost a survival mentality because of the poverty there. And I just believe that they need to hear this message of grace and the ease of heaven, and God loves them. And I'm just looking forward to God changing people's hearts. Now, I know that there won't be, there won't be those that may be transformed in a moment, but I know that the trajectory of their life will be changed. And so once that trajectory is changed, maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now, maybe three years, five years, whatever it might be, their lives will look so much different than they do today. So pray with us, if you will. We leave leave next Thursday, uh, Thursday morning. We arrive Thursday afternoon. Pastor Tom and I both teach on Thursday night. Friday we're off to prepare for the conference on uh, Saturday, which means setting up chairs, setting up sound system, getting food ready, and in our spare time, getting our messages ready for the, for Saturday. And then Saturday is an all-day conference. Pastor Tom's going to preach six times, like five times on that day. Uh, I'll preach once, uh, just to, you know, prime the pump. <laughs> and then Pastor Tom takes over, preaches five times on that day, and then we both preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then we fly back Monday morning, get back here Monday night. It's a whirlwind tour. But guys, I just want to emphasize the people that we are ministering to have the capability or the potential of changing the city and the country that they're living in. And so please pray for us. This little sheet right here, Nancy Van Maren and the Missions Committee has put this together. It's dated. It tells what we're doing on particular days. Different prayer requests for those days. It's already started. So there are already people praying for us, but you too can join. These are out on the table outside the missions area out there, or you might be able to pick them up at the Information Center. Please be praying for us while we're gone. Here comes Pastor Sarah for an important announcement. Oh, fix my microphone. <laughs> oh, the pack's not up. Yes. <laughs> you you could hear. I didn't even notice it was off. I was talking so loud. 
Okay, so that's our Dominican Republic trip. Would love for you guys to be praying with us. If you brought a Bible today, uh, Exodus chapter 40 in your Bible will be there in just a second. Exodus chapter 40. If you're following along in the story, this is chapter 5 in the story. Um, the title of chapter 5 in the story are a new, com- new Commands and a New Covenant, something of that sort. What I've entitled my message, same scripture verses, but just a different title and a little bit different uh, topic, uh, prepared for his presence, prepared for his presence. Now, we're just in the beginning of the story starting in Genesis, and so it's easy to recap. So let me do that just a little bit before we read uh, Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35 together. Of course, Genesis can be easily divided into eight sections. The first four sections are four events. So that would be creation and the flood and um, the fall, then the flood, uh, and then uh, the, the Tower of Babel or the nations. That takes up the first 12, verse, first 12 chapters of Genesis. After those first 12 chapters, uh, Abraham is called out of... Uh, uh, the land that he is in and called to uh, uh, Palestine and given a promise that his descendants would be as, as multiplied as the sands on the sea or the stars in the heavens. And so then the rest of Genesis, Genesis 12 all the way through 50, is that story of Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob and then his son Joseph. And at the end of Genesis, the story ends with Joseph passing away. And so those four great patriarchs or those four great characters of Genesis come to an end. In Exodus, Exodus opens up with the children of Israel uh, in Egypt, but under bondage. That they have grown now probably to over a million people, perhaps even growing close to two million people. They have grown to this large number of people. They're still in, still in Egypt, but now they are slaves in Egypt. And so God calls out Moses to deliver them. And they are, after a series of plagues, delivered from Egypt, delivered out of slavery, brought into the wilderness. And this is where we pick up our story today in Exodus chapter 19. That they've come out into the wilderness, they've been free from captivity, and now they're meeting the Lord at Mount Sinai, which we'll get back to in just a second. But before I talk about that in Exodus chapter 19, I want to show you the end of the story so you know where we're going. It's found here at the end of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, down at verse 34, it says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. Now, there's no way of knowing, of course, what exactly was happening here. But we do have a few keys to give us a a hint. First of all, it says that the Lord came down. He came down. We know that the Lord is always with us. His presence is always with us. But there is a tangible presence of the Lord that is different than him just being with us. There is a presence of the Lord where he manifests himself in our midst. And when the Lord 
manifests himself in our midst, there is a reaction and a response to that. And here the response was, is that they couldn't even minister for the glory of the Lord. They couldn't minister in his presence. Now, I think I might know just a little bit what that might be like. I get this feeling that it's God is, God's presence is so tangible and so near that we don't even want to speak for fear that, for fear that we might, we might scare it away, so to speak. Or that God is so close, his holiness so obvious that we just want to bow down before him. He's so manifest, his character so manifest that we just want to bow down before him. I'm thinking of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, who saw the vision of the Lord and said, Woe to me, I am undone. Or uh, Ezekiel, who also saw the Lord and, and fell down at his feet. Or John in the book of Revelation, who got this revelation of, of the Lord Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth and, and a, a, a shiny garments on him. And he says he fell down as dead. Now, I think when the glory of the Lord comes in such a tangible way that we have a response to it. The young lady that was sharing this morning said that uh, she was often slain in the spirit. And what that is, I think, oftentimes is that the power of God or the manifest presence of God comes down upon us. And this is our response to his manifest presence. Now, other people respond in different ways. But some people respond in that way of just, just falling out, you know, sort of thing. Here we see that. Clearly that the priests couldn't even minister for the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I fully expect to experience God in this way. I fully expect that God wants to reveal himself to us both individually and corporately in a manifest, tangible way. That yes, I agree with all other evangelicals, all other believers, that God is present everywhere all the time. I agree with that. But I think there is more that God has for us as individuals and that God has for us corporately. I think God's desire is to manifest himself to us in tangible ways more and more in these days. Certainly it was here for these. Mount Sinai changed everything for Israel. Because this is where God came down and met them first on Mount Sinai and then finally in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. That before this time, there was not a meeting spot. There was not a meeting place. There was not this sacred place to meet with God. But now God is coming to his people. And we'll see in a second that that was a very tangible coming in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. That God came in a very tangible way. Church, this is what I yearned for in my heart and my spirit. I mean, I know God is present. I know that. I know God's character. I know of his mercy. I know of his love. I know of his faithfulness. I know of all those things. But I know that he wants to reveal himself in a tangible way as well. That he wants to manifest himself more to me and more to us in these ways, in these days. So I asked myself, what was going on here in these few chapters, chapter 19 to uh, 40? And we're going to read those together in just a second. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, from chapter 19 all the way through chapter 40, what is going on? I've identified for today three things. 
Now, there are probably other things going on, uh, but I've identified three for today. So let's pray, and then we'll look at those three things. Lord, we want to say thank you for your kind intention for us today. Lord, we know that your love is lavished upon us. We know that your grace is new every morning. We know that you are faithful beyond compare. And we know that you've called us into this place today for your purposes. And so, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes. Let spirit touch spirit in these moments. Lord, let us receive from you, not only uh, from words into our minds, but from spirit to spirit. Let us receive from your spirit. Let us know the things that you have for us today. And we just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's the first thing. Turning back to Exodus chapter 20. Of course, we all know that on Mount Sinai, or most of us know, on Mount Sinai was the giving of the Ten Commandments. The first thing I see here is that if God is going to be present, there's going to have to be some rules. I simply said in my outline that this first thing is God's law. He gives a moral law to his people. That moral law is given for a number of reasons. Let me read it to you first. Chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord God will not leave him unpunished who takes the name, takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, your son or your daughter, your male, your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who, who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. These rules, if you will, these commandments, this moral law was given to God's people so that they would know how to behave. It was given for a number of reasons. Let me just give you uh, a few. It was given to restrain sinfulness. God says, be holy for I'm holy. He is a holy God and he wants his people to be a holy people. God expected righteousness. When I say righteousness, and when the Bible talks about righteousness, oftentimes it talks about right behavior. Uh, 
And in these verses, God is letting his people know this is right behavior. And so he desires right behavior. It says in the New Testament, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It is his desire that his people live a holy life. Again, it is not how we, uh, it's not how we get righteous, which I'll talk about in a, in a minute, in a moment. It is how we display righteousness. He's given his commandments not only to reveal sinfulness, but also to reveal his character. Look at these opening verses here. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First of all, it says, the Lord spoke. It is out of the kindness and mercy of the Lord that he pursues us. It's out of his kindness and mercy that he speaks forth into our life. The Lord is a personal God. His desire is to speak into, his, into our life. Not only that, as you read on a little farther, it says, I, I, then God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So number one, he shows himself again as personal. That he is a personal God. I am the Lord, your God. I am not only the Lord, your God, but I am the God that delivers you. I am the God that sets you free. I'm the God that breaks those chains off of you. I'm the God that delivers from slavery and sets you on a high place. That is the God that I am. So it's revealing his character, not only revealing sinfulness, but revealing his character, his goodness. I am your God who brought you out of Egypt. At the end of the second commandment, Exodus 26, it talks about his faithfulness to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. This is the heart of the Lord. This is his heart. Not only gracious and loving, but also in this section reveals his holiness and his majesty. Listen to verse 3 and 4. I don't know for sure how far I'll read, but just listen to some of these verses. You should not have any other gods before me. You should not make yourself an idol or, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath in the waters of the earth. Verse 7, you shall, be, you shall not uh, take the name of the Lord your God in vain and remember the Sabbath. The first four commandments are those commandments that have to do with the glory of the Lord. He talks about not having any other gods before him. Your version might say besides him. It is that idea of putting anything before him. The second commandment is similar to it, where he says that you shouldn't have any graven image. In some translations, in my Bible, it says an idol. That thing which we put before the Lord, it could be anything. It could be relationships. It could be money. It could be hobbies. It could be anything. Idols can be anything that we put before him. You shouldn't have any idols. He goes on to say here in the third commandment, uh, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Uh, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So holy is the name of the Lord that we shouldn't even speak it without purpose and without meaning, without intention. 
To speak of the Lord's name idly or, 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 or without any thought is to speak of the Lord's name in vain. It was so, such, uh, uh, the, the, the early um, uh, Jews were so concerned about speaking the Lord's name in vain that they wouldn't even speak his name at all. They wouldn't say his name at all. They wouldn't even write it out. They would just use four consonants for his name because they're afraid that they would take the name of the Lord in vain. This just shows the holy character of the Lord. One other thing. If you go back to verse or chapter 19, it talks about this meeting on Mount Sinai. Now this might be familiar to some of you as well. The Lord speaking to Moses, he says, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak and you may also believe in me forever. And then he says in verse 16, So it came about on that day uh, when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast um, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the Lord. Going on to verse 18. Now uh, Mount Sinai was all a smoke because of the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Now I don't know about you guys, but this sounds pretty dramatic, right? I mean, this sounds like something that might strike the heart of fear into people. God revealing his holy majesty. But there's a corollary verse to this found in the book of Hebrews. And it's the writer of Hebrews saying, we have not come to a mountain like this. But we've come to the city of God. We've come to that holy calling in Christ Jesus. We are the people made holy by him. And so although here, God's righteousness is shown this way in the New Testament, the writers remind us that we have not come to that sort of mountain. We've come to the gracious heavenly father. So secondly, these commandments reveal God's character. Thirdly, I believe these are a blueprint for happiness. Remember what the psalmist writes in Psalm 1 when he says this. Psalm 1. I can hear you turning there in your Bibles. It says this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. This is the kind of person he's going to be. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. This is how that person that uses the commands of the Lord to direct his path It says in the Bible that he will be blessed. That means that he'll have a happy and meaningful life. Years ago, um, before we moved into the house that we moved into, we we lived in a duplex that had a fireplace. A real fireplace. A wood-burning fireplace. And on Sunday afternoons, I would get home from church and I would start a fire in the fireplace. 
And for whatever reason, I just thought it would be really great to make this fire just as big as I could. So Sunday after Sunday, I think it has something to do with like being a boy or something. You know, you just got to build big fires. So Sunday after Sunday, we would have this huge fire. I'd end up sitting there, you know, in my underwear because the fire was so hot, you know. We'd have our family gathered around us. Of course, they're all very young then. And we'd have the Packer game on and that sort of thing, sitting in our family room. And it was just, it was just beautiful. Whenever I think of blessed in the Old Testament, I think of this. I think of being at peace with God and man. That's what being, being blessed is. Being at peace with God and man. The Bible says here in Psalm 1, it says, you will be blessed if you follow and do my commands. So God's commands are given as a blueprint, a blueprint for a happy life if we'll follow his commands. We follow his commands, of course, because they bring us blessing, but also because we love him, because of what the Spirit of God has done in our lives. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We also follow his commands because he has changed us on the inside. We not only follow him because, because they bring blessing, we not only uh, follow them, uh, uh, not only follow them because we love him, but we follow them too because he has changed us on the inside. He's made us want to follow his commands. Fourthly, his commands are given to reveal the sinfulness of men how short we fall from these things. Now, it might seem in those 10 commands, you might look at them and say, well, Pastor Greg, we could do that. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody for a long time. <laughs> but Jesus says this. He says, he says if, you even, if you're even mad at your brother, you have already murdered him. If you call him a fool, you've, you've, you're already in judgment. He says, he says, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but if you've looked at a woman lusting after her, you've already committed that in your heart. In fact, all these commands are found in the New Testament. Every single one of them. Uh, um, the only one that's changed is the Sabbath. The Sabbath has changed. Jesus gave us an out on the Sabbath. But every other one is intensified. It's intensified in the New Testament. It shows us our sinfulness, number one. And number two, it shows us the need for a Savior. Because we can't keep them. True, we might not be murdering anybody, but when is the last time you were mad at somebody? Now that's a different story. True, you might be able to avoid adultery, but when was the last time you lusted after someone? We need a Savior. We need someone to save us, to change us on the inside, to forgive us of our sins, to set us free, to, to pay the price for us, to stand in our stead so that we don't have to. We're going to get to that in a second. So this is the first part. God gave commands. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.20, Paul gives this illustration he says, he says, in a house there are objects both for, for uh, noble use and uh, old translation says ignoble use. So for, for important stuff and for not so important stuff. 
And he says, some are made out of gold and some are made out of silver. Others are made out of, of clay. And he says this um, to Timothy. He says, Timothy, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself so that you could be a vessel for honor. That you could be a vessel for honor. As we prepare ourselves for the manifest presence of God in our lives and in our body, there will be a need to cleanse ourselves from sinfulness. Number two. So we have the, we have the commands. Number two, I see this. That there needs to be a dwelling place. There needs to be a dwelling place. So number one, there needs to be a moral law. Number two, there needs to be a dwelling place. Of course, in uh, Exodus 25, 8 through 9, you can see this for yourself. Exodus 25, it says this. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you. As the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just shall you construct it. So chapters from this chapter on, 25 all the way through 31, is the instructions for the tabernacle, the place where God would dwell. He is making a dwelling place for himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But it seems to me that God has always had a sacred space. He's always had a place where he could dwell, so to speak. Now think about this. Go back to the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the coolness of the day. A gathering place, if you will. Remember when when, uh, God came and called Israel out of Egypt. He said, go, he said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh to release my people so they come out in the wilderness and worship me. In fact, at one point, um, uh, Pharaoh says, well, why can't they just stay here and worship here? God says, no. God says, no, I want them in the wilderness to worship me. So the gathering place for Adam and Eve was in the garden. The gathering place for Israel, at least in the beginning, was, was in the wilderness. And then we have, as in these verses, we have the building of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. That place where God will dwell, where he'll come down in the midst of his people and meet with his people there in their midst. Up to this time, that hasn't happened. This is the first time, Exodus 19, that he comes down and meets with his people. And then, of course, as I read to you in the beginning, Exodus 40. But that's not all. God also had a dwelling place in the temple where he would dwell in the temple. And then when the temple was destroyed and Israel was, was first the northern kingdom taken off into captivity to Assyria and then the southern kingdom taken off to captivity in Babylon, they no longer had the temple. So what did they do? They met in gathering places called synagogues. Synagogues. The gathering place, the sacred place for God. And what about the New Testament? Isn't the New Testament the local church, the gathering place of God, uh, where God's people come together? Oftentimes, it's just called the gathering in the New Testament. The gathering, the ecclesia, the, the called out ones. And then finally, think about this. Think about Revelation. 
all God's people of every race, every nation, every tongue gathered around the throne, praising and worshiping God. It seems to me that God has always had a sacred place. The Bible tells us that we, shall, we should enter his courts with praise. The Bible tells us that, that he's enthroned on the praises of his people. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't meet with us individually. I'm not saying that. He certainly does. This is what I am saying. That there is a special manifest presence of God when God's people are dwelling together. Okay, a few people agree. I believe it with all my heart. I believe with all my heart. That's, that's not only what I see in the scripture, but it's what I've experienced. That when God's people are gathered together, God does special things. And so here, there needed to be a dwelling place for God so that he could dwell in the midst of his people. That there would be that sacred space, if you will, that sacred place. And so the second thing is, is a sacred place. First, the moral law. Then secondly, a sacred place or the tabernacle. Last of all, there needed to be an atonement for sin. An atonement for sin. Sin needed to be dealt, dealt with. Now it says in Exodus 29, these words. Exodus 29 Starting at verse 42, it says this. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Before the Lord will I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet you there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. Three things have had to happen to lead to the tangible presence of God. The first one was, if God's going to come down, there's going to have to be some rules. That was the first thing. The second thing is, if God's going to come down, there's going to have to be a sacred place. Let me just say something else about that before I go on. Not only is, is it a sacred place when we get together, but it's also a sacred place place in our lives. That God does reveal himself to us. The New Testament scriptures tell us that, that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God, if you will, dwells inside us. I mean, it's the most amazing thing. Think of Jesus's high prayer in John 17. He says this, he says, he says to the Father, he says, I pray for them that they might be in me as, as I am in you and you in, in them. I'm thinking to myself, oh my. Oh my, how, do, how does, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, just the way the Trinity is, is a part of each other, so now they're a part of us as well. Just as, just as we have this unity, now, now we're in them as well. It's the union with Christ. It is a mystery. It is a mystery how Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. But it is a reality. It is a reality. So not only is the sacred space the gathering together of believers, but also in each one of us. And we need to make space for him there. Finally, this is the last thing. If God is going to come down, 
sin is going to need to be dealt with. Sin is going to need to be dealt with. These verses I read to you out of Exodus chapter 29, it comes right on the heels of making atonement for the priests so that they could minister in the tabernacle. This word consecrated is that idea of setting, setting these people aside in a special way. And in this way, it's talking about their sins being atoned for so that they can minister before a holy God. Now in Leviticus chapter 16, we see the atonement more clearly than we, than we do here in Exodus. But the meaning is the same. It basically has these three parts. First of all, the bull offering. It has to be an offering of blood. The bull offering is made on behalf of the person making uh, offering for the atonement to atone for their own sin. So you have the bull offering. And then you have the two, uh, the two uh, sheep, if you will. The two sheep, and then one of the sheep, a hand was laid upon him, and the sins were, of the people were imparted, and that sheep, was, that sheep was killed. And the other one, the hand was laid upon the head, sins imparted, and that, that sheep led off into the, into the wilderness. It speaks of God's atonement in this way, that sin has to be dealt with, and so it's so important that there must be that blood offering. Secondly, there is this part where sin is taken away, where it is taken away. And then the last part, atonement speaks to the idea of sin being covered as well. Now, some people don't like that idea of sin being covered. I understand it like this, that God took away our sins. As far as the east is from the west, he removed those from us. But there is something innate in, in humans. There is something innate in us. There's a sinfulness that comes, that's imparted from down from Adam within us that needs to be covered. Yes, our sin is taken away. I say it like this. God has taken away our sin and covered our sinfulness. He's taken away our sin and covered our sinfulness. <coughs> and he has made us righteous before him. Here's the thing, guys. We could never do it on our own. We could never do it on our own. We couldn't obey the Ten Commandments. We couldn't be the dwelling place of God that he wants us to be. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his atonement for sin. And likewise, for those in Israel, they needed it as well. It's coming to that point of peace with the Lord. Some have called it an at-one-ment. Atonement being an at-one-ment. It's bringing us together with God. It's God embracing us and drawing us close. It's that holy, holy, holy God that Isaiah talks about. Taking a sinful people and drawing them close because their sin has been taken away and their sinfulness covered. God cannot and will not dwell among sinful people. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth of unrighteousness. Paul says that in Romans 18. 1 Corinthians, for I delivered unto you first all that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Through God's atonement, we become one with him. Guys, it all depends on Jesus. It all depends on Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. There is a desire 
in God's heart to send his tangible presence amongst his people. But there's a certain expectation of righteousness or right behavior that can only be accomplished with Jesus' grace and mercy in our lives. It can only be accomplished that way and it only should be accomplished that way. This was the problem that the Pharisees faced, that they thought they could do it on their own. In fact, Israel in Exodus 19, God brings his, God, God brings his commands and the people say this, we will obey it, we will do everything he says. Silly, silly Israelites. Silly Israelites. I mean, even before, Mount, even before Moses got off the mountain, they were already worshiping a golden calf. And they said, we're going to obey everything. We're going to do everything he says us, tells us to do. Guys, that is the waywardness of a human heart. Prone to wander how I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is the human condition. But it's Jesus that draws us close to him. It's Jesus that gives us right standing. It's Jesus that makes us right before the Lord. If the tangible presence of the Lord is going to come, there's going to be a need for right behavior. Secondly, if the tangible presence of the Lord is going to come, there's going to be that need to, for us to make a dwelling place, both corporately and individually. Giving room to the Lord, that sacred place amongst us. Maybe this just means some time during the day for the, for the Lord to manifest himself in our presence. Certainly it means being a part of a body involved in the body of Christ, being part of that sacred place. And then finally, this third thing is, is that our sin needs to be dwelt with. Our sin needs to be dwelt with, dealt with. So here's how we're going to close today. If you just close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord. I think the worship team's going to come and give us some mood music. As your eyes are closed and you're shut in with the Lord this morning, you've never taken that initial step to follow Jesus. You've never come before him and never said, Lord, I need, I need forgiveness of my sins. I am a sinful person. I can't live up to my own expectations. How can I possibly live up to God's expectations in my life? But today, you want to make a decision to follow him. In a moment, we're going to have prayer teams that are going to come forward. A number of people will come forward for prayer for a number of different reasons. But when that happens, I would just ask that you would come down and you'd meet me right here in the front. I'm going to be down here praying for people right in front of the communion table. If you're making that decision for the first time to follow Jesus, to make him, as it were, the Lord of your life, to take yourself off the, off the throne of your life and put Jesus on the throne, to say, Jesus, I can't do this on myself. I need your help and your work in my life. You can make that decision right where you are. You can say, you can, you can, you can say, Lord, I want you. you. That can happen right where you are. But I'm inviting you to come forward because oftentimes that solidifies those things in our lives. It makes it stronger. And we'll pray together. Secondly, 
If you're here this morning and you haven't thought too much about the manifest presence of God and what God might ask of you to prepare for that, I'd like to pray with you as it regards that as well. I'm feeling like there might be one or two that you've just been going your own way. You're a believer, but you've just been going your own way, just doing your own thing. You've been calling on on God's grace, but there's been so much waywardness and so much sinfulness in your life that God just can't, he just can't bless that. He just can't bless it. He wants to pour out a blessing, but he just can't. And you want to turn from that today. I want to pray with you. Or perhaps you just haven't given God much of a space in your life. Much of a space for him to dwell and manifest himself, whether that, whether that be in an intangible or a tangible way. And you just like prayer for that this morning. I'd love to pray with you as it regards that right down here at the front. So Lord, I'm saying thank you for the things that you have spoken into our lives this day. We're praying that you would take those things, Lord, and that you would, you would whisper them in our ears, that you would mix them with, with conviction and, and hope and desire and bring the change that you've desired, not because, not because of anything we've done, but because of all of what you've done. And so, Lord, do this in me and do that in those like me this day. And we're praying it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and stand up. I normally have uh, the worship team lead us in a song, but since we're a little over, we'll just forego that. The prayer teams are coming forward. They'll be up here to pray with you. If you have any need at all, whatever that might be, whether that be physical or financial or emotional, we'd be glad to pray with you. If you're making a decision for the first time to follow the Lord, I would love to pray with you uh, about that. Or if something I've said this morning has just, just tweaked your heart a little bit, I'd love to pray with you about those things as well. So God bless you. Um, Have a great week. And we'll see you back here again next week.